Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. And for all those at home that I cannot see, so good that you're here with us. We are continuing our study of Psalm 119, and again, just gathering a small portion of what's available to be harvested out of this amazing passage that is in the middle of the Word of God and is about the Word of God, where God is giving us an incredible amount of wisdom if we're paying attention of the heart, the mind, the attitude that we get to bring when we go into the Word. He's giving us a, an array of choices we get to make about our response to the Word. And then he's also promising us, promising us a, a whole array of blessings and outcomes, promises, things that will be flowing from coming to those attitudes and those choices in the word that God intends for us to harvest, that God intends for us to expect and pursue and choose with him. And we're going to look at, at just one of those today. One of the outcomes, one of the purposes, one of the promises that God is offering us through his work. And if you will look at verse 49 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says this. He's talking to God and he says, remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly divide me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. And this, this recognition that now of all the things that we've already looked at, the psalmist focuses on this, that when I go into the Word, one thing that I should expect, one thing that I should actively seek for, is comfort. And it's interesting because he makes the contrast. He says, the arrogant make fun of me. So here I am going to the Word of God for comfort, and arrogant people make fun of me for that. And so part of your wisdom and my wisdom gets to, gets to be this humble recognition. I am not above needing comfort. There is nobody on planet Earth, no matter how strong, how independent, how effective, how, how successful, there is no one on planet Earth that is above the need of God's comfort. And only an arrogant person would avoid that comfort. And I have known as far as I know, genuine believers that refuse to go to God for comfort, and, and at least one believer put it in terms of God's busyness. But he said, you know what? God is doing big things. Uh, and he gave a few examples, but you know, basically God is spinning the universe. He keeps all those plates going. And now he's, he's conducting this big spiritual battle across planet Earth against the enemy. My little heartaches, my little sorrows and my griefs, I'm just supposed to endure until one day I die and I go to heaven. 
And so I'm not going to bother God with my need for comfort. And that's not humility. That's not some majestic picture of God. But what God is saying is, that's arrogant. I created you to be my son. I created you to be my daughter. And part of your arrogance is to think that somehow you're going to get through those 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life and never need your true heavenly father to comfort you. So I'll just, I'll just do a really uh, senseless, useless showing of the hands. But I'll do it anyway. How many people in this room have ever had a moment where you knew, I need comfort? I need comfort. Now, whether you turn to God or not, that's a different question. But at least you're aware, I need comfort. My heart is broken over a loss, over a dream shattered. I, I find no solace in myself for how out of place I feel in the world, for how maybe I even had a place and then I lost it. I can't come. But sometimes I'm even my sin, my, my veering in a, in a direction that drove me off a cliff, and then I faced the grief of choices. But whatever the purpose, part of what this passage is saying is no one, no man, woman, or child is strong enough, independent enough, capable of getting through life without the comfort of God. Only an arrogant person would mock that need for comfort from God. And so, first of all, this, this word means that I have to be ready to receive comfort from God. When I go to the Word of God, I need enough humility. And at the heart of humility is always this, honesty, to acknowledge my need for comfort and to go there ready to receive it. Now, really interesting in this passage because he goes on to say this other thing. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, verse 52, and I comfort myself. And, and I would like us to capture a challenge out of that truth that God is saying, my comfort is real. My comfort is prepared, it is spoken, it's here for you. But he's also saying, if you're a son or daughter of God, keep maturing. That's supposed to be an A. Keep maturing to the point where you comfort yourself. And it's real important here. In my word. So the psalmist is absolutely not saying, you know what? I finally realized I don't need you. I'm going to go comfort myself. This passage, in fact, is saying the exact opposite. I'm finally growing up and maturing enough that instead of laying there in my bed and saying, well, if you love me, come comfort me, that I get up. And I go open the word of God and I, and I submit my heart before God and my mind before God. And I say, Father, 
I'm here to gather comfort on purpose. And we've talked about that in all kinds of areas of our life, that we go into the Word of God to gather truth on purpose for where I need it. And in this instance, I need comfort. Now, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but, but I know this. Even if right now you're in a sort of comfortable place in your life and you don't feel the need for comfort, you're going to. It's going to happen. Either that or you're dying today. So if you live long enough, you will absolutely face moments of need for God's comfort. And then part of your maturity is, I don't wait for God to zap me with comfort. I go get comfort. I crack open the word. I get my notebook and my pen and, and my heart of prayer, and I go searching out treasure and truth. And so that recognition, I'm recognizing he's the source, but I'm also recognizing I need to vote. As I mature, I'm going to be proactive about seeking out that comfort. Turn to... Second Thessalonians for a second. In Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse sixteen. I like the way this chapter ends. And he's been going through a variety of relationships. Uh, he's also been going through prophecies of the end times and, and the apparent temporary triumph of evil. <laughs> and as he's going through all that, he finally ends up in this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, verse 16, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and, and word. So again, here in the New Testament, the same idea. This comfort comes from Jesus. He's our Savior. I hope, I really hope, I trust that actually most of you were, but I really hope that each of us were really listening to the worship songs we just sang. And I've said this before, but 90% of the sermon was in the songs we just sang. When, when we sang, it is well with my soul. What we're saying is, in the middle of sorrow and tragedy, I've gathered comfort from God. And most of you know the background to the original song, It Is Well With My Soul. And it's, it's a heartbreaking song that a man's family was killed at sea, a believer. And later he, he took a cruise, and when he got to the area of the sea where his family had been killed, he wrote that song. It is well with my soul. Though sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. And it was about a sense of peacefulness flowing from God, not from the circumstances. I would expect that that man's heart was thoroughly shattered and broken in grief. Thoroughly shattered and broken in grief. And in fact, you look at Psalm 119 again for just a second. Look up at verse 28. Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. 
Believers are free to grieve over a multitude of sorrows. This universe is broken. Every time we share prayer requests, part of what we're looking at is the evidence. We're looking at the practical real world evidence that this universe is broken. Health is broken. Relationships are broken. Marriages are broken. Relationship with God is broken. In a variety of ways, we look at the fact that the world, the universe of people is broken and we get to sorrow over that. As, as we look, as, as has already been shared, Fran shared, that we get to pray for our nation and we get to grieve for our nation. We get to sorrow. You know, there are times I even think this, you know, if, if uh, George Washington and all those guys could come back right now and sort of get a real catch-up session where for about seven days we just immerse them in, in catching up with where everything is right now, I, I think the next seven days they would just spend crying. Their hearts would be broken. And, we delivered this to you and this is what you did with it? We get to grieve that evil triumphs in moments in this universe. We get to grieve over that. We get to grieve that people we love and care about, that their health is shattered. We get to grieve at the robbery of age and death. Jesus grieved in front of Lazarus' tomb. Even though he knew he was going to resurrect him in moments, Jesus still felt free to grieve. So I, I trust that all of you know this, but we get to remember it. I am free to grieve as long as I remember to go to him for strength and comfort. If I just stay in my grief and I turn my grief either into despair, hopelessness, or I turn my grief into bitterness and resentment, then I will be doing damage because I've avoided his strength and comfort. And I would bet there are times, I know there have been in my life, I bet there are times in most of your lives where you've avoided God for a while and you went through some damage of despair or bitterness because we need to go to God quickly enough to get comfort, to get strength. So that gets to be part of your wisdom again, that we're maturing in Christ enough to go, I'm going to proactively go get this. So this is, this is me choosing what he offers. Go to 1 Thessalonians for just a second. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he has just been talking about love of the body. He's just been talking about the resurrection and the rapture and, and the coming return of Christ. And then he says this in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So now, this idea of God's comfort is expanding to include the participa participation of the body of Christ. That the brothers and sisters I have in the body, and those to whom I am a brother, we're now engaged in a, in a proactive process for each other on each other's behalf. So it starts out with the truth that all of that comfort is in Jesus Christ. I mature to the point where I'm proactively going to get my comfort, but now we're also looking at the fact that we help comfort one another. 
probably said this before, but I think in many instances, you and I need a little bit more courage to trust the Word of God. And what I mean by that is, I think there are plenty of situations where a believer wants to comfort another believer, maybe even remembers a promise from Scripture, and is afraid that they're going to sound too churchy or too religious, or, or they're going to sound self-righteous. Throw that objection away. You're not the source of the promise. You're just pointing to the promise. So it is worth having the courage to speak up for another believer, even another believer who is struggling in their faith or their relationship with God, to say, I really want to remind you that this is something God said for you right now. And it, it's not me saying it, it's me reminding you that he said it. And so I could even say, I'm, I'm reminding you of this promise. And if that person even said, well, Reg, there are a lot of times where I've seen you struggle with that same thing. And I'm free to say, you're right. I need to keep growing in the truth of this comfort too. I'm not speaking God's comfort to you because I got it all figured out. I'm speaking God's comfort to you because I'm your brother in Christ. And this stuff is true. This comfort is real. I have freedom and authority to share it with you because you need to hear it. And again, this isn't preaching at somebody or beating them over the head or making them feel guilty that they struggle. It's speaking comfort, not condemnation, comfort. And that for a believer, we are unafraid to say, if I'm going to really comfort one another, I hope you remember where that comfort is. And over and over and over again, the Word of God will be there. We had, we had a, some reason in recent weeks to already look at this passage, but if you would go there for a second to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I think I just remembered why we read this passage a few weeks ago. Because a few weeks ago, I thought I'd already be at this point in the series. And I, I was just flat out wrong. Second Corinthians chapter one. Blessed be the God and God who comforts be able to comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And I realized, in fact, I've, I've heard people say this, that when they read that passage, it just sounds like that's about persecution. Well, we're suffering for Christ. Well, I'm not suffering for Christ. I'm suffering because I said a stupid thing to my boss. I'm suffering because I didn't understand how to do marriage. I'm suffering because this person was unjust to me. I'm suffering because the doctor gave me this bad news. And that's not Christ's suffering, so this passage won't help me. And I really hope 
we pause and go back and see the words that God chose for this passage. The God of all comfort in verse 3. In verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So yes, when we face persecution, when we face some pushback, when we face sorrow because we belong to Christ and the world opposes us, or, or sometimes somebody in our own home or circle of friends and family opposes us in a sorrowful way, this is a passage of comfort for that. But God made sure that he used words to say, but don't you dare think it's just the big stuff. If you're grieving, come to me for comfort. Don't use any excuse from the enemy to avoid me because you think your grief isn't important enough. Come to me, I'm the God of all comfort, who's ready to comfort you in all your afflictions. Well, let's go back to Psalm 119. And there's another beautiful thought here for our comfort, our need for comfort. Let's go to verse 73, Psalm 119. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. And now the heart of this promise, I know, Lord, that your judgments are righteous. And listen to this hard statement. And that in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. And so here's this incredible passage where the psalmist is saying, there are some times in life when my grief is an affliction that you have allowed or sent me. And actually, all of our afflictions are something God has allowed or he would have prevented them. But he's taking it to another level. Although there are times when I face affliction because you decided so. What is that about? What a crazy thing. How am I going to trust this God who might send me affliction? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, let's start at verse 4. Wait, is that a verse? Yes, verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons and daughters of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Therefore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
they discipline us for a short time to see best to them. But here's the crux of this. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And now, that passage of, of Psalm 119 makes sense, where he's saying, I may even be afflicted by life, by other people, by myself, but sometimes even by the Lord. And why am I supposed to love that? Because I accept discipline that's for my good, for my growth and holiness, In Romans 8, twenty-eight to 30, he actually puts everything under this umbrella that everything is that I grow and mature into the image of Christ. And part of what God is saying is if affliction brings you into a place of eternal treasure, I'm willing to use affliction. If discipline for unrepentant sin, and actually let's, we need that point in mind. Biblically, discipline is God stepping in when we have blindness or unrepentance in regard to our sin. So if when my daughter was, was young, younger, and she was trying to clean her room, I didn't go in and spank her because she didn't know how to clean her room at seven like she would when she was, let's see, by 17, she didn't know how to clean her room. <laughs> um, yeah, 37. I didn't discipline her for trying. I disciplined her for disobeying. The discipline of God is not about my imperfections while I'm trying to grow. The discipline of God, as, as every loving parent knows, is I need to step in now because there is rebellion there is refusal to obey. Now, there needs to be some consequence that brings that child back in line with obedience, with, with alignment in the, in the parent's will. That's when God exercises his will. So, and, and maybe, maybe many of you have struggled with this, but I've certainly heard plenty of folks in counseling that were afraid that God was disciplining them and some of them actually went past discipline to payback, that God was angry and he was just going to crush them. But even with discipline, to recognize I can end God's discipline in one split second. All I have to do is repent. All I have to do is get on track and grow. Now, world consequences may continue. But God's heart of discipline is satisfied when we are repentant and back on track with God. And the psalmist here is saying, I so love what you're working on. Where you go? Page I so love what you're working on that your loving kindness comforts me. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. And your loving kindness comforts me. 
So that even in affliction, he's recognizing there is something really faithful and loving about what you're doing. And I get to draw comfort out of that. Now, part of what that means is that you and I are also reaching maturity enough that we would say, I am willing to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And even through tears of sorrow that need comforting, I'm even willing to suffer loss if the outcome is that I become more like Jesus Christ. If the outcome is a deeper intimacy with Jesus Christ. And, and it has been genuinely humbling to me, and I really mean that, humbling to me numerous times through the years, where, where I'm working with somebody in counseling, and they're going through things that I'm thinking, I'm not confident, you know, I don't feel strong, like, that I can have the, the peace or the joy that they're expressing right now. And I've heard so many men and women through the years, and even children through the years say, if that's what I had to go through, to get to this deeper intimacy with God, that was worth it. And I'm talking about real suffering, death, loss, uh, demolished finances, demolished health. Uh, a woman that was even dying, and then shortly after we worked together in counseling, did die. And yet she just said the same thing. She said, if this is what it took to bring me this close to Jesus Christ, this is worth it. That's incredible. That's the heart of the psalmist when he said, your faithfulness and your loving kindness are so embedded in what you allow me to suffer. And I so agree and I comprehend your goodness to me that now that faithfulness and loving kindness, kindness comforts me while I'm suffering. Comforts me. Soothes me. And go to the passage that Anne read for us this morning in John 14. And, and many of you know this. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are, are just incredibly packed with treasure for believers who want reassurance and strength and comfort. But one of the things that's happening here, this is Jesus last night with his disciples. And he's, he's pouring out a wealth of teaching for them. And he ends in John chapter 17, which is his high priestly prayer for the disciples and, and for all of us. That, that passage, 14, 15, 16, 17, I, I know I've said this before, but I'm really serious about it. I would encourage you that every now and then, you sit down and read those four chapters. And you agree with them and you say, this belongs to me. And you appropriate that comfort. You appropriate that strength. You appropriate those promises. But here's part of what he says in 14 as he's speaking to his disciples. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father. <clears throat> I'm approaching puberty. <laughs> I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so Jesus is saying, well, I'll try to fit it in here. He's saying, I'm sending you another helper. King James calls him comforter. Yes, he does. 
And in the Greek, that word is paraclete. And there are layers of meaning to this word that all apply here. And Mariah just brought up one of the words that's in the King James interpretation because another aspect of that word is comforter. Another word is advocate. Defender. Guide. Companion. Someone who will be with you. What else? Comfort, advocate, defender, guide, companion. Teacher or advisor. And not advisor like I'm the CEO of the company. And every now and then I call in one of my little junior guys to give me some advice. My advisor as in, I'm the student and this is my mentor. And so Jesus is saying, I'm sending the helper and that's why you won't be alone. This comforter, this advisor, this companion is meant for you to actually recognize and choose, I'm never alone. And in Romans 8, 26, what he says is, here's this Holy Spirit. When I don't know how to pray for myself, the Holy Spirit intercedes for me with groanings too deep for words. He's my advocate. And if you'll turn over to 1 John chapter 2, it's really beautiful because these two passages here in 14, 15, and 16, and then in 1 John are the only places in the New Testament where this word paraclete is used. And in chapter 2, three verses 1 and 2. The letter of John, 1 John, chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but also for those of the whole world. And so now he's taking, he's taking the same word, the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our advocate, and he's using the exact same word for Jesus so that you and I recognize I get to go directly to Jesus for comfort. I get to remember that he's interceding for me, and, and we won't go back and read it, but I, one of the things I love about Romans 8 is from 26 on, to the end of the chapter, verse 39, we see this incredible activity of the Trinity on your behalf. The incredible recognition that the Holy Spirit always intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. When you're facing a situation, and, I, and I'm serious, I hope you remember this and choose it and say so back to God. Father, I don't even know how to pray right now. So I want to stop and be amazed and thank you for this. The Holy Spirit knows how to pray for me right now. And he is. He really is. 
The Holy Spirit is interceding for me right now. And then a few verses later, it says, and the Father, the judge of the whole universe, he's for you. God is for you. And then just a couple of verses later, it says, and there's Jesus Christ also advocating and interceding on your behalf before the Father. Father, Son, and Spirit are in a constant conference call on your behalf. They don't need Zoom. They invented this long before Zoom. They're in a constant conversation on your behalf. And Scripture is not revealing that as some kind of little analogy. God is saying, I really want you to learn this about the God you now belong to. That Father, Son, and Spirit love you so much, they're always speaking together on your behalf. And in darkness, in struggle, in difficulty, in loss, in grief, I'm supposed to go proactively draw comfort from that truth. This God is for me and speaking on my behalf right now. <laughs> so this, this issue of comfort is not a little side issue because again, only the arrogant would decide I'm strong enough, independent enough, resilient enough that I don't need the comfort of God. I need the comfort of God. And I may not need it at every moment, but I'm going to need it. And my humility and my honesty is to recognize I want to be prepared. In fact, I want to be gathering truth that will be comfort for me in those moments. And part of that gathering of truth is to keep learning the heart of God. This isn't just a matter of when I'm in trouble, I go get a verse. It's a constant growth in comprehending the character of Father, Son, and Spirit on, on my behalf. So that when the hard moment hits, I'm already thinking in agreement with the preparation and readiness of his comfort. And that you and I are proactively choosing that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that everybody in this room who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, who has chosen Jesus dying on the cross in agreement with you as the full payment for their sins, has believed in him to spend eternity with you, that these truths of comfort belong to every single one. No one is disqualified. In fact, the very things that the enemy tries to say make us disqualified. Sometimes those are the very things we need to come to you for comfort. How we've screwed up or how others have wronged us. Opportunities we've missed. Tragedies we've endured. And we get to come to you for real comfort. And Father, I thank you that for you this is personal. That as Paul said to the Thessalonians, it is now Jesus himself who is here to offer us this comfort. It's not just a book you wrote. All the book does is reveal your heart. Help us to go into this word always remembering this. We are reading the heart of a living God who is speaking these things to us right now. And that's why it's a living word. And that we would treasure it as the words of God that give us life. Father, thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your loving kindness and your faithfulness. That at every moment we need comfort, we can be confident you have prepared yourself to be our comfort. You've prepared promises 
that will clarify your love. And Father, we also pray that you would help us to be bold and wise in how we comfort one another. We don't let a brother or sister flounder in their own thinking. If we see they need comfort, we joyfully speak your promises. We don't just hand them our thinking, we hand them the treasure of your thinking. Father, we agree on these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.